Welcome back, Intimates. I'm excited to find you experts to talk about love, connection, non-monogamy, polyamory, relationship anarchy, group sex, kink, commitment, and lots of other intimacy and relationship topics. Let's live our best lives together by unlearning stigma and getting clear on what we really want. Don't know what to ask for? I have loads of ideas for you. Of course, none of this would be possible without the support of my amazing Patreon supporters or my current hosts, the Musqueam First Nation on whose unceded lands this podcast was made and this human was born. If you want to support more intimate interactions, you can say thank you by supporting us on Patreon for as little as $1 a month. Patreon supporters also get every episode of the podcast ad-free with short intros and outros. I know funds are not an option for some of you lovely humans, but don't fret, there are other ways you can help out. You can help make more intimate interactions by just telling someone you listen to this podcast. Or if you're feeling especially generous, you can share a link to an episode you like and discuss it with a friend or partner, or even leave us a review on iTunes or your favorite podcasting site. Help other humans interested in more intimacy and better relationships find us. If you have your own podcast, shout us out. Need a podcast guest? Email offers to podcast at victorsalmon.com. I love talking about relationships and intimacy, and I love cross-promotion and working with other podcasters. Okay, let's hear about today's episode. We form opinions of people piece by piece. First, Robin was a stripper. She took off her clothes as a house girl, but it was offering lap dances to men in the clubs where she earned most of her money. She needed that money because she wanted to get through nursing school, where she went on to eventually become a trained and practicing licensed psychiatric nurse. She also made money pro-doming men. Is any one of those professions more of a sale of her body than the others? Is anyone asking her to do more emotional labor than the others? Why do we attach judgment to some professions, and yet not to others? But I'm getting ahead of myself, as usual. Let's let Robin tell the story. And if you feel like it, feel free to buy her book on um, robinsnestcoaching.com, all one word, or at alternativesexuality.ca forward slash shop. But for now, let's get some intimate stories for free from Robin herself on Intimate Interactions. So I'll just introduce you as a non-monogamous mom and sex educator, um, former psychiatric nurse, former stripper, um, former pro-dom. Do you currently still do pro-doming nope, stuff? Former. Former. Okay. Um, and author. I just finished your first book, which I really enjoyed, um, which was called my years on the pole. It's uh, call me Holly, my years on the pole. So yeah. thank you. You're thank welcome. you. <laughs> no problem. And, um, former VP of MBK. Oh, yes, that as well. Thank Former you. vice president of MVK. Yeah. Metro Vancouver Kink Alternative Lifestyle Society. Right. What do you want to talk about in terms of stripping? Like anything. I could explain how I got into it. I can talk about um, the stereotypes that people have assumed on me or my experience with stereotypes within the industry. I can talk about how empowering it was. I can talk about how it got me through school. I changed a lot for me in terms of my uh, empowerment, my own sexual empowerment. Let's, um, let's start there. Let's start with how you got involved in stripping. Okay. Getting into stripping in a lot of ways felt like kind of running away to the circus. I, I mean, I grew up in a very conservative Mennonite area, abstinence only high school, all of that. And um, mm-hmm. I feel like it just happened through a friend, a good friend of mine, 
just for fun. She said, oh, you've never been to a strip club? I said, no, it sounds really cool. And she took me and we had a really fun time. And I met some of the dancers that were really friendly. And they offered free pole dance lessons. And so that's kind of how they get you. <laughs> they offer you the pole dance lessons. <laughs> and if they like you, then they ask you to to join and be a stripper. They usually kind of offer you a one night. You can work here for one night. Um, we won't take any of the money. Like they usually take a percentage of what you make. And so like, okay, well, if they like you, mm-hmm. they'll offer you to work there one night. You get to keep all your money, see how it goes. And if you decide to stay, then you can stay. And that's exactly what I did. I took the pole dancing lessons. I really enjoyed it. And the manager came to me and he asked me if I was interested in trying a night. And I was kind of surprised in myself for being interested. I was like, actually, I mean, I felt like that would be a good story to tell. It would be a fun experience. I thought, how how often am I going to get an opportunity like this? I can't turn it down just because it sounded like such a rare opportunity and it sounded like a fun adventure to share later. And so I did the one night and had a total blast. I made a lot of money. Again, it's kind of how they get you. <laughs> where they're like, this was a lot of fun. Yes, you can make this kind of money on a regular basis. And it had me thinking about school. I thought, oh, you know what? This would make school so much easier to afford. Plus, this sounds like fun. And I discussed it with a good friend of mine who I trusted. And he said, yeah, I mean, as long as you enjoy doing it, I, I say go for it. He said, I would if I could. And so I thought, <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. And that was one of the main rules that I had kept for myself that I wanted to continue stripping as long as I enjoyed it. If I really like, obviously at work, you know, we have days that are don't necessarily go well and we don't always love going to work, but I thought as long as I don't hate it and I actually somewhat enjoy it, then I'm not uh, in a way feeling coerced or forced to do it. And that mm-hmm. was kind of how I did it. And it helped pay for school. I kind of, I credit my work as a dancer in a lot of ways for graduating with honors because I was able to afford living in my own apartment. I was able to make my own hours however I pleased. It was really flexible in terms of schooling for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it also, yeah, it would have afforded you so much more time to study because you would have had to have worked so many fewer hours in order to make the same money that other students would be struggling to make. Exactly. Um, and Initially, I started as what's called a house girl. That's when you work for one place. I worked at one place for about a year. And then for another few years after that, I ended up working on the circuit when you're actually with an agency and you travel and you go from place to place. And I found that even more flexible and better for studying because even if I was out of town, I was staying in a hotel and between shows, I would just stay in my hotel room and study and I, mm-hmm. I intentionally would only bring what I needed for work and my school stuff. I didn't want to bring too many things to do because I wanted to be so bored that I would do my homework. And <laughs> so I spent, oh, I spent countless hours and I'm not this person, like color coding everything and making it look all nice just because I was so bored. And it was a really good way to study for me. Right. Yeah, it's funny how you can set yourself up for success like that, which I think in many ways is what you did with stripping in general. Mm-hmm. Um, so talking about 
having it be your choice and not being coerced. You also mentioned that there were sort of other lifestyles that folks who were stripping would choose that you were kind of like concerned about falling into and that for you, like adult adult entertainment didn't need to be any of those things, but for some folks it was. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, I want to say, do you want to give some examples? Yeah. Almost all of my loved ones, when I came out to them about being a dancer, we're always concerned about, you know, drugs or other forms of sex work that they felt might be detrimental to my self-empowerment or that I was going to basically going down all the wrong roads kind of thing. And right. it's a total stereotype and it is unfortunate. And it does exist in some ways. There are definitely dancers I have met that fit that stereotype that, um, maybe had mm-hmm. alcoholism and addiction problems. And then they found that all they knew was dancing or sex work. And that was the only thing that they felt they could do in order to support their habits or their lifestyle. Um, or there were dancers right. that, and this was a big rule of mine. I said, no dating anyone from the workplace, <laughs> like <laughs> no DJs, no bouncers, no clients, managers or anything like that. Cause a lot of dancers would end up dating some of the people they worked with or like a pimp or something like that, or a drug dealer. And he would essentially push her into doing it. And which is obviously not uh, consensual. So I had a certain kind of line of rules and things like that. One was no drinking at work. Um, no dating, uh, anyone, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. I just, I tried to keep the mindset that this was my job. This was a work situation. I wasn't there to party and have fun. Right. You're showing up to I'm work, showing up to work. Um, and having that kind of separation, I think helped a lot. Um, and I actually knew a lot of dancers that were paying either for school. I knew a dancer that worked for about a year and then bought a house. Like that was the reason she wanted to dance. She wanted, wow. Yeah. She wanted to get like a really good down payment on a house. So she just became a stripper for like a year and got a really good down payment on a house and bought a house. That's incredible. Kind of makes me think of um, some of the guys that I know that went out to the oil rigs um, and went out for like a set period of time. Mm-hmm. I personally went out and just did um, first aid stuff for 81 days of work, which I did over three months. Yeah. And after those 81 days of work, that paid off all my student loans. And I was like, I'm never going back. <laughs> yeah, that's wow. That's a lot. But yeah, that's that's some of the case for some of the dancers that I've met where it was like they had a certain monetary goal. No, I'm here for work. And I think that's the big difference in terms of what, you know, quote unquote road you want to go down um, in terms of the adult industry. And I think as long as you remember that it is a job and it's your work and you keep that separate from your personal, your dating life, um, then then that's, that's what it is. It's a job. As opposed to if you're making lots of money and you're funneling all that money into partying, mm-hmm. then you're not really getting very much for it. You're just sustaining your partying lifestyle. Yeah. And I mean, I've had managers try to push me into drinking and, and being in the club with clients. And it, I had to be really firm to turn it down. Mm-hmm. And I understand why the managers would want, you know, the strippers basically hanging out with all the clients and drinking with them. Um, but I was like, that's sure. not in my job description. That's actually not in the contract that we have for this week. My job is to go on the stage and do my thing. And right. so I did get a lot of pressure from managers to essentially party 
But I was like, no, this is my job. I'm not here to get drunk. Right. Because you got to be careful. Otherwise, you're going to be doing that every night and not going right. to know well, anything else. You mentioned that a manager once bought you a shot to try and get you to drink and bought you a shot in front of <sighs> an entire audience. Yeah. he. When, I, when I, I turned this guy down, he said, this is your job. You have to hang out and drink. I said, no, that's actually not in my contract. And then during my next show on stage, he had the bartender bring a shot and put it on the stage for me and say that it was on the house, like in front of everyone. Uh, right. Which I was <laughs> really pissed me off, obviously, because he's putting me in a really difficult position. And you, I knew... You kind of had a brilliant way of dealing with it, though. Right? Like, what a power play. Uh, but what I ended up doing was I... Oh, what did I do? I held up the shot and I said, highest bidder gets to take the shot off of me. Right, which is genius. <laughs> Thank you. I wanted to like flip the bird really hard at the manager, but that was my way of doing that. To be like, I'm not going to be uh, intimidated. Like at that right. point, I was just more offended. I was like, okay, now I'm definitely not going to do it because you're trying to push me and I'm going to be stubborn. So highest bidder takes the shot off of me and then he didn't do it again. He didn't mention it again. Well, chances are you made a fair amount from that, too. I probably did. I don't really remember. But but stuff like that, I mean, definitely gets the crowd going. Totally. Yeah, when I was doing um, webcamming, trying to figure out that hustle was the hardest part of the job. Oh, absolutely. Um, that's why I'm really glad I started at as a house girl working at one place. Because in... Right. In that situation, when you work at one place, and of course it's different geographically, at least in my situation, mm -hmm. I wasn't paid to be there at all. I wasn't paid for my shows on stage or anything like that. All of the money that you make comes from the lap dances that you do. Um, right. And you technically actually would pay to do your shows. I would pay, it's $20 a night. They called it rent for the poll. It's considered, really? it's considered advertising yourself. So... Huh. I would pay $20 just for the whole night, and then a certain percentage of my lap dances would go to the house. Um, so it was, yeah, it's, it's a matter of advertising yourself for lap dances. And so in order to make money, you had to learn how to hustle. You had to learn how to read people and how to try to, basically, if you wanted to make money, you make more by getting as many dances from one person as opposed to right. getting one dance from several people. We would call those one hit wonders when you get, mm -hmm. when you get a lap dance from somebody and then that's it. They're like, thanks, here's your money. Have a good one. And that's it. Um, because it takes a right. lot more time and effort to put your clothes back on, go out, hustle some more. You go sit down with this client, you wait for the next song, you do your lap dance, you put your clothes on and do it again. If you had one hit wonders from the start of your shift to the end of your shift, you don't really make that much money. You're going to make a lot more money if you have one or two clients that are going to buy, you know, half an hour or an hour. Mm -hmm. um, so it was a lot of learning how uh, it's hard because I, I don't want to sound too crude in terms of like manipulating somebody, but essentially how to tease somebody. And it helps to remember mm -hmm. that, you know, uh, people that go to strippers aren't looking for sexual activities. Typically, you can get in uh, various sex workers for that. People that go to strippers want to be teased. So you're teasing them right. and you're trying to read them, try to figure out what is that 
usually there's like one thing that they're really, really interested in and maybe won't say. You have to try to figure out what that is and, and then tease them with that one thing. And then maybe at the end of your song, oh, they're getting more of it. It's getting close. Oh, the song is over. We were just getting started. And they're going to be like, yeah, keep going. it's okay. <laughs> just keep going. Um, so like ways to try to get somebody to get more time with you. Um, that, yeah. that was the best way. And I, I, I imagine that would be the same with camming. Yes. It's, it's incredibly similar. Yeah. It's like I would have... I would have regulars and I feel like regulars were much more common for my partner. Oh. Um, but some regulars like ones in specific really got off knowing that I was close by right. while he was having a session um, with my femme presenting partner. So even though we're non-monogamous and like, it was pretty clear as like, no, I don't have any issues whatsoever with this. The fantasy of that, of, of, I guess, cuckolding someone. Yeah. Um, was so intense for this person that being able to hear my voice on camera just just once or twice at the beginning and end of sessions was enough for the session to be really heightened and to, for them to develop a preference for our couple's dynamic. That is so cool. I find that so fascinating. Typically, couples don't make less than individuals, which is what's so interesting. You would think that like, you know, if you have two people on cam versus one person on cam that you would make, you would make more per person if it was just one person. But there's a lot of appeal for couples, or at least there was when I was camming mm. markets changed so oh, much yeah. so quickly and they vary site to site. And you just like, I was doing regular research when I was camming. It was like every, every night I would take various data points of like, okay, how many people are on right now? How many people of those are actually in session and how many cameras are on right now? And I would sort of develop um, like a, da a data model. Cause of course I have an education science <laughs> of what, what supply and demand looked like. When was the best time for me to be on? When were people their most generous? Yeah. Um, like that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And to be honest, it didn't, vary that much i was expecting to, to see bigger patterns really? and the patterns i saw were they were pretty subtle it was like when north america was done europe would come online and it's just like so <laughs> time of t time of day didn't necessarily matter all that much huh. and that shocked me because i was expecting there to be like a, a prime time and and there was in terms of number of clients but then there also was in terms of providers because the providers on the site I was on were, were primarily in North America. And so was the client base. Right. So it was like prime time supply and demand both jumped at the same time. So there wasn't really like easy trends to exploit or anything like that. Right. Interesting. I found with, with mm -hmm. dancing that there were definitely certain types of locations and different clientele based on either the location or, or the time of day or both. And they definitely, I did find that they might react to certain types or like, say, for example, um, I mostly did well with uh, kind of blue collar workers, um, maybe mm -hmm. older men or military, as opposed mm -hmm. to like downtown really young and hip crowd was not uh, something they didn't seem to respond to me as much. Typically they're really young and hip and maybe, um, more financially better off. Uh, mm -hmm. they seem to want more, um, you know, body enhancements, 
maybe blonde right. hair, that kind of thing. Maybe someone really tall and slim. Uh, whereas I would be either with older right. men or blue collar types, and they didn't, you know, they would prefer an quote unquote all natural. And I was considered an all natural dancer because I've never had any like body enhancements or or surgery sure. or anything. Um, with my more natural color in terms of my hair and that kind of things, and I listened and I had like rock mm-hmm. music and that kind of thing, as opposed to like top forties or hip hop, right. right? So like there were definitely different types. And typically during the day, at more of like a hole in the wall place, I actually did a lot better right. than at a really, you know, bumping place downtown. So I did better with like totally. The more I could regulars. see that. Yeah, the the kind of day drinkers, the maybe people that have been in the military and now they're taking a break or they've been working uh, at their kind of labor job all day. Yeah, that's those are typically mm-hmm. the clients that responded more to me, I think, due to my body type and also my style and music. It's so interesting. Yeah. I found that um, clients that were regulars mm-hmm. tended to be more like middle-aged men that knew what they want for, for me when I was, when I was camming. Yeah. Um, but clients that that got more excited tended to be like the young and like sweet guys. Mm-hmm. I don't know how else to put that. No, I feel, I feel, that. Was... I think I had like two, only two regular clients that were like younger, but they were very kind of socially awkward gamers mm-hmm. that were also mm-hmm. very excited, very shy and sweet. Um, I don't know. Maybe those types might be more intimidated by um, someone that was maybe more flashy or had a uh, more obvious body augmentations. Hmm. Yeah, it's um, it's it's super challenging because like prices have varied a lot as well, and like breakdowns of prices and like how much goes to which streaming site, and like there's just there's so many factors. Yeah. And if you're if you're camming in a group like as two or more people, you have to divide the income among those people, usually fairly, but sometimes it's it's weighted depending. Oh, I see. Um, both of my partners were very happy to split it 50-50, which was awesome. Huh. Um, and I cammed with both of my partners at different times as couples, which some of the fan base was fascinated with and wanted enough of a free education in non-monogamy. Please. And half of the cam base hated me for it. Oh, no. Which which was funny because I was tempted to try and use that and be like, well, if you want to see her, strap it on and like abuse my face or my ass. Like you can pay for that, you know. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That is such a wonderful but it's kind like... of sex work mentality. The uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, I normally do these things for free, but if you want this for me, like it is going to cost you. Right, totally. And it's not even that I have an issue of there being like an image or video of me in perpetuity on the internet. Like I'm not worried about mm. that. Um, and and I hope my partners weren't either. But obviously the rules are very different for like assigned female at birth people, yeah. and and assigned male at birth people, um, even for non-binary folks like myself. Mm-hmm. Um, what I think the only time I ever felt bad camming, not to take the stripping session and make it about me, but now that we're talking about no, sex I'm work, interested. I'm like, ooh, sex yeah, work. Yeah, tell me. Cool. Um, the only time I've ever felt bad about camming. Well, there's a couple of times. There's one, like the swindler is always the worst kind of client to have. The one that will like, and, and I think every cam model that I've met has a story of a time they were swindled where someone sent them money and they received money from a company. And then after the session, they canceled that gift card or that money oh. sending thing. 
um, because some things can be digitally canceled after they've been sent or accepted. And you start like learning like, oh, okay, if I don't take money up front, people might try and scam me. Um, And if people show me images of them sending me money, that's almost certainly a scam unless I've seen it on my end of things. And if people send me money through certain red flag services, I know those are cancelable. Um, like they'll buy things on Amazon for you and then cancel the orders like five minutes yeah. later or 10 minutes later, depending on how long, like, like that kind of yeah. stuff where you're like, you know, you want to keep things sexy and interesting and fun as you're having this conversation. And when you first find your legs about how to tell someone, like, I have to do this for me, like I need to respect yeah. my boundaries and I need to make sure the money is like in the proverbial bank before we start. So you're just going to have to wait five minutes. It's the same for everybody. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And like, if you apologize too much, like, Oh, I'm so sorry about this. Or like, you make it sound like you're asking a lot of them. They will feed on that sometimes. So you have to know like how to be firm <clears throat> enough and, and casual enough at the same right. time. It's, there's so much psychology to it. It's really uh-huh. interesting. Uh-huh. And typically good clients will never screw you over like that. Like if you, if you're like, Oh, I just have to wait for it to finish. Like, um, like authenticating and depositing. And once I know for sure the money's in my bank, um, then, then we can start good clients will 100% understand. Yeah. Oh yeah. That makes sense. Like they, they are very familiar with the industry. They're very familiar with like, and and those are the people that you want to be working Mm -hmm. with, like people who know what they want and have, are totally good with paying for it. But I think the only time I felt bad about that was we had this service that would, like authenticate people's cards for us and terminate our sessions early if their cards um, were no longer able to pay for our services. Oh. Um, which was a super neat idea, but I ended up getting like 50 minutes into this really hot session mm-hmm. um, with this really nice client and the sex was getting really, really good. And I was, we were, we were, we were both trying to be really attentive and having interaction while we were camming, which is like, that's really hard to do. Firstly, mm-hmm. if like for people that think if you go on as a couple, it's just you having sex with your partner and it's great. I've had sessions go really sideways that way. And that like you have sex, but like the person will bail mid session because they're like, you weren't interacting right. with me. Like you weren't really listening to me. I wasn't really getting what I wanted. And you know, if you're, halfway through having sex both of you probably just want to finish at that point (laughs) yeah (laughs) not necessarily not necessarily um it depends on which half but (laughs) um but sometimes you just want to finish and if you don't have a client that's fine but if you're working with an assigned male at birth person who can only orgasm so many times at night yeah um that can start affecting things (laughs) yeah and you know the you know, a partner who has not orgasmed yet um, is more likely to be like, cool, I'm just going to continue soloing um, if that works for you. And then, you know, so there, there are sort of like consequences to taking on one of those sessions. If it's a session for something as like, I don't want to say as boring as PIV, because I know some people love the shit out of PIV. Mm-hmm. It's just not my cup of tea. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so this, we, we did 50 minutes and we had this amazing session, which I won't forget. I had such a good time and we were just getting to doing like butt stuff, which for people who know me know that that's like my, that, that is where my heart place is <laughs> yeah. in, in terms of like sexual expression. It is like not the be all and end all, but it is like the, 
the like the the pinnacle in some respects of like all of the things that I like being brought together into one sexual act because I can be a bit of like a humiliation and degradation fetishist sometimes. And interestingly, I don't find anything humiliating or degrading about butt stuff anymore, but it is like the sex act that I think um, that I sort of started with um, or the family of sex acts that I sort of started with that met more of those needs initially. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we were, we were just getting to all this really fun sex stuff and we get kicked out of session and it, tr- it turns out that he had maxed his card out. It was only like a $500 limit, but he'd, he'd maxed it wow. out over, over whatever he, whatever else he was doing and our session. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so that kind of sucked. <laughs> no but, kidding. Uh, <laughs> I, I have had yeah, to have it, clients pay like up front. I mean, it wasn't required, mm-hmm. but they would usually advise. I was taught that if you aren't sure of this client and maybe you just get a bad vibe from them or for whatever reason you feel like maybe they might try to grab you or touch you, which of course is not allowed, Mm -hmm. they would say, if you're not sure, get the money up front. And then if at any point, maybe they try to touch you or something happens, you can walk out and not feel pressured to, Mm -hmm. um, to accept that behavior so that you can get the money. Right. Because at that point you have the money and if they're being really disrespectful, you probably don't want them in the club anyways. And at that point they have the choice to let you walk away um, or get kicked out of the club and you've already got their money. Exactly. I did have someone uh, grab me and I walked out and he complained. He was like, well, you have to give me my money back. And I was like, no, I don't. And he's like, well, you didn't finish the lap dance. And so he was, you know, and then he was talking to the bouncer and the manager and they were essentially like laughing at him. They're like, he's like, I'm going to call the police. They're like, you go ahead. You tell the police that you, that you touched a stripper and see how well that goes for you. And he was kind of like, okay, Mm -hmm. yeah, that's (laughs) obviously that's not an option. Um, Right. Like obviously I'm the idiot in this exchange. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You, you try to touch a stripper. She's going to walk away with your money. So, and so that was, Mm -hmm. uh, which is totally valid. I had, I did not feel guilty about doing that. If you're going to break the rules and violate the rules and someone's consent in that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I deserve to keep that money. <laughs> that was, this is 100%. non-refundable. Mm-hmm. Um, but that didn't happen very often. Um, you know, it's interesting. I always, people always find this really uh, kind of fun little fact that hit me when I first started dancing. You know how oftentimes in strip clubs, especially in the lap dance areas, there's a lot of mirrors all around. Mm-hmm. And it's not just for the client to be able to look at all of the angles. It's the strippers are taught to use the mirrors to watch their client. Like if they, if they're turned around right. or if they're not facing them. Um, so I would be looking at the mirrors a lot just to watch their hands. Usually that's what I would watch is the mm-hmm. hands with a facial expression or just, yeah. Um, using those right. mirrors to my advantage to be able to just, look after myself and you can usually it's hard because there are times that I have had a bad vibe from somebody this is probably the only time that I was like "Eh, not the funnest thing when I might have not the greatest vibe from a client but I would still do the lap dance 
because it might be a really quiet night mm-hmm. or something like that. Um, but the more clientele, like you've mentioned regulars, you get more regulars, um, the mm-hmm. busier the night is, the less you feel obligated in a way to take on a client that maybe you wouldn't choose to either way, you know, so you could just be like, you know what, mm-hmm. I feel like turning you down. I don't feel like dealing with this shit tonight. Um, I've got lots of other clients available. Mm-hmm. So that might be like one of the kind of downfalls is that if it is a quiet night, if there's not a lot of money out there, um, then maybe you might be like, oh, I mean, I'll just get the money up front and keep an eye on him. I say him a lot because I want right. to say it was like 99% men. Um, I believe I only ever gave a lap dance to um, a woman once. And there were couples. I would I would have couples come in. Right. Although most of the time, and it's funny because I've talked to other strippers who have kind of laughed and been like, yeah, that's been my experience too. Um, that couples usually at one point would ask if I wanted to go home with them. Mm-hmm. Like they were almost looking for a threesome or maybe just someone interested. And I'd be like, Oh, those unicorn yeah, hunters. Yeah, exactly. Like stripper unicorn hunters <laughs> where a couple <laughs> come in and I mean, it's not like they would try to coerce me. They would buy like an hour and we would be upstairs and having a good time. And they'd be like, yeah, we were really like you. So you want to come home with us? I'd be like, anytime I had a couple, I'd be essentially waiting for them to ask. And they would almost always ask, no, it didn't bother me. It was just kind of a funny, like, oh, here's a couple. Mm-hmm. Anybody want to have a threesome? Which we all that. <laughs> um, there's a lot in the in the work that you would get used to, or certain little things like um, we had when I worked at, at when I say as a house girl when I worked at the house, we had there was a giant bowl full of numbers Mm -hmm. like anytime a dancer would get a number we'd put it in there giant glass bowl and it was totally full uh but sometimes they would say keep keep the number if anyone tries to give you their number keep it and then call them from the club right that's really brilliant yeah which i've done and that's how i've gotten some regulars before they give me their number and i would call them from the club and Say, oh, yeah, I'm doing okay. How are you? Yeah, I'm working. I'm actually here at the club. It's kind of quiet. You should come down. And Right, and then they feel like you're giving them really good customer service. You're making a personal <laughs> reach out to them. You're yeah. actually following up on their number. Yeah. They feel special. Of course they're going to come down to the club if they're free. Exactly. And then they'd come down. And, yeah, usually you can try to convince them to have, like, free admission or something. Um and then they'd buy more time with you. And next thing you know, they keep coming back. And that's how you get a regular once you kind of establish that connection. Yeah, it's it's a funny exercise in like emotional hovering. You want to be like close to a person, but not too close. Yeah, I, it's like I was in a monogamish relationship while I was a stripper. I say monogamish because we were, I want to say emotionally and romantically monogamous, but we had sexual mm-hmm. uh encounters with other people we had kind of a anyways um (laughs) (laughs) this was with a guy uh this relationship i had Mm -hmm. with a guy and he was very supportive of of Mm -hmm. me dancing he thought it was a great idea Uh, but there were certain things that he did struggle with in terms of like insecurities um and so making sure that 
because I did really have genuine bonds with a lot of my regulars, if not all of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I did have to be very careful not to talk about them. And, f- and also with my partner, like figure out where our boundaries lie. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember my uh, partner at the time, he really struggled when uh, one of our friends, who was also a dancer that I worked with, had commented on one of my regulars and how hot he was. <laughs> sure. R- right? I'm glad you immediately mm-hmm. see the problem there because she didn't. She was like, oh, my God, he's so hot. And you're so lucky you get to give him lap dances all the time. <laughs> and my poor you know, boyfriend at the time, I could tell he looked horrified. But we were in a social situation. And later I brought it up. And he said, I don't know. Maybe it helped me feel better. But I somehow imagined all of your clients to, in my eyes, be, you know, older and unattractive in my mind just to make me feel better. And it didn't really occur to me (laughs) that you might have like successful, attractive, you know, maybe young compatible partners or clients. Mm -hmm. And so that was a difficult conversation. But I mean, also it's not like you're going to start dating someone who was formerly a client. Exactly. And I I basically had, I had tried to kind of reassure him by saying, you know what, these are people that, that pay me for my time. This is a, a business. Mm-hmm. Yes, we have certain bonds. And yeah, so what if they're attractive? I am choosing to be with you. That is my choice. Mm-hmm. It, you are not my job. Like, these are clients. These are people that pay me for my time. This is my right. job. Whereas I am choosing to be right. with you on my personal time. Right. And um, I even, you know, would be like, think of all these people that are paying to see me. Yet I'm picking you. Right. And, I, and that, like I have all these options exactly, yeah, and I'm not exercising. Exactly being like, you know what, not to uh, make you feel bad. But yeah, I do have all these options, but I am losing <laughs> you, you know, and I feel like that did help. Great. Yeah. Do you have any advice for people starting out who are thinking about stripping or camming or anything like that? Um, stripping. I at least. would want to start <laughs> by saying that it, it is not the same as when I did it. It's, right. I started, um, I want to say 2007. Mm-hmm. And until 2011, and then hang on. No, 2012, somewhere in there. Mm-hmm. And actually, the time that I was dancing is around the time that um, access to free pornography became really big on the internet. Mm-hmm. I have nothing against the internet. I have nothing against camming. I think if you're going to do it, go for it. Um, but I would just mm-hmm. warn that the industry has changed a lot. Almost the vast majority of strip clubs I have worked at do not exist anymore. And I watched mm-hmm. from the beginning of my dancing career to the end how much things had changed. In the beginning, it was just like, just show up and take your clothes off and you'll make a ton of money. And Mm -hmm. as clientele really dwindled and clubs started closing down, we had to put a lot more effort in, a lot more hours in for a lot less money. And Mm -hmm. I know that with camming, um, not from a ton of personal experience, but from others that have worked or do work in that industry, that they are working many hours 
Um, so, you know, I would just say if you're going to get into various forms of sex work, such as, you know, being a stripper or even camming, not to go in expecting to be an easy job where you're going to make tons of money. That's not the reality anymore. Yep. That it is going to take a lot of time and effort, organization, costumes, like actual planning mm-hmm. and work that's going to go into what you do. You don't just show up and take your clothes off anymore. Um, so just yep. be be prepared for that if that's what you want to do. And I would say... <laughs> be prepared for what? Sorry. It's true. Like, I mean, when I say be prepared, <laughs> you know, in the beginning, I didn't have to worry too much about costumes or crazy pole tricks or... Mm-hmm. Um, and later on in my stripping career, I did have to put more of my money and time into themes, my music, costumes, um, doing things like, um, you know, selling ice cubes. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> I ended up selling ice cubes at a club where the air conditioning had broken down. And so I thought, well, I'll just take this bucket of ice. And I started like rubbing ice on myself. And then people started offering money for the ice. And I made that a thing. It's <laughs> like, all right. I think you and I were talking and you had said, you would laugh. I said, what? It's your mouth. <laughs> it's your mouth. That's like, right. Yeah. So I was like, okay. It's your mouth. I'm reading that, reading that book. I could hear, I could hear almost all of the narration, like almost all of the, <laughs> the narrative as spoken by you in your voice. Thank you. That's funny, actually. People that know me that have read uh, Call Me Holly have said the same thing. They're like, I can actually hear you saying these things. Um, (laughs) So anyways, uh, it did take a lot more effort uh, later to really kind of uh, try to promote myself and really make myself stand out and put more hours in and make a lot less money. Um, And I believe Mm -hmm. it is that way with with camming. There's a really great movie called uh, Pornocracy. If you haven't heard of it, it was like a documentary. I haven't actually on the free pornography, and it mentions camming, mm-hmm. and it, you know people that are working camming, eight to ten hours a day, you know forty hours, fifty hours a week are making like mm-hmm. uh, entry level money, basically, like just enough to kind of pay. The yeah. So I would I would believe that like I made 25 bucks an hour when I was camming um, because even though I was charging um, with a partner 10 bucks a minute minus the fees the site took, which were about 40 percent and then splitting the the 60 percent, that's three dollars a minute when I was actually in session. And if you put that together with all the hustling that I would do with my partner, the two of us would hustle together for most of every hour that we were on. And even if we only did four or five hours as a shift until we were too exhausted from like emotionally from hustling, um, you might get, geez, I don't even know what you would necessarily get out of that, say a hundred bucks. So what would that be like a half hour of being in session over five hours? So you got to figure you're hustling for like four and a half hours and then you're actually doing sex acts in a specific way that's that's visible to the camera yeah. and interacting and trying to spend emotional energy reading a client through text on the internet um, like in so many ways reading someone in person a billion times easier than trying to interpret from text yes. when a person isn't speaking with their voice mm-hmm. And you've just got to be so good at reading that context. And you can't sit there and stare at their text and think of the perfect text response because they've got video on you. (laughs) So (laughs) 
So it's like you have to respond in video time so they can see you from the text that they're sending you. And it's yeah. to find out they're like one big thing they really want. That's that's hard. That is a lot of things for the brain to be doing at once. And you have to look sexy doing and, yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So yeah, I'm not I'm not trying to discourage anyone from doing it. I'm I'm just saying don't assume it's easy money. Don't get into any kind of sex work, yep. assuming it's easy money, because it's not. It does take work. It's a lot of physical and emotional energy, and it takes time. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically, that means do it if that's something you're actually interested in doing. If you think it's something that you could enjoy, keep it as your work, but like you can enjoy it. You can still enjoy your work. And yeah, those yeah. are basically like, that's it really is just keep it professional. Keep it as your job. Don't assume it's easy money. So only do it if you actually have an interest in it or if you enjoy it. And if you are finding yourself getting slightly burnt out from it, um, that might be a really good sign to stop. And also keep in mind, you can always move into some form of sex education. Mm-hmm. I was definitely feeling like, um, folks that would like, I would see regulars that would really want certain things and they would just talk about being crushingly lonely. And like, I could tell that like for a couple of clients, like their mental health just wasn't in a great place. And I'm like, well, have you looked into the local kink scene? And like, have you looked into this? And like, what sort of resources do you have? And like, I found myself doing almost as much like coaching and like, um, giving out of like resources for kink scenes Mm -hmm. and like local organizations to the client. And I was like, I'm doing a lot of this work for free and it really feels like I'm doing consulting work or like education work. And like clients would come specifically to my channel to ask me those questions. And I was like, I'm in the wrong business. I know. Right. Yeah. That's why I got into sex and relationship coaching as well. Uh, Working as a dancer, working as a pro dom. I was like, I'm basically helping a lot of people with these shame issues that they have or something they need to talk about. Mm -hmm. I was like, uh, so I'm basically doing a lot of that now. It's just, I do keep my clothes on <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, help discuss, um, certain issues. So yeah, a lot of people that do or have a past in sex work or the adult industry do go into this kind of thing because they've seen it for themselves. They've seen people that mm-hmm. have really struggled with shame, um, or mm-hmm. any other issues that they might feel uncomfortable to talk to anyone else about. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know what, if you yeah. do find yourself getting burned out, you can take a break and you can go back to it. Like you yep. don't necessarily have to quit forever. I mean, I retired mm-hmm. a few times from stripping <laughs> where I'm like, I'm retiring. This is it. That's kind of the joke. They'd be like, you'll be back. You'll be back. Uh, cause people will go back to it because at the time it was easier to do. Uh, Mm-hmm. So I went back a few times and then I was like, no, I am officially, officially retiring. That was when I finished uh, nursing school and I retired from stripping and then it became a pro dom. So I didn't go too far off. <laughs> I would work as a nurse and also pro dom on my own time, <laughs> which felt like I had this like super secret identity, which was fun. I, I find it funny how many nurses there are in sex work and in oh. like the kink kink community there are so, so many, many healthcare professionals there's paramedics as well there's caring oh totally um i haven't seen a lot of doctors i actually do know a few but they don't they're not involved in community stuff due to fear of being outed and losing everything right. they work towards so a lot of healthcare right. workers 
And I don't think that's a coincidence. I really feel, no. There's a lot. Yeah, of there's a lot of like basically self-sacrifice. Sex nerds that are just because at least for myself, I'm just so fascinated with the human body, and I just want to mm-hmm, go. Mm-hmm. Hmm, what happens if you do this? <laughs> oh, that's interesting. What happens if I do this? Like I'm just curious and fascinated and wanting to. Which brings brings up all of the like medical play yeah. fetishists and like there's a whole slew of stuff we could talk about. Let's wrap up the session yeah. on stripping and camming and. Um, I'll bring you back and we can talk about um, sex work and prodomy. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time, Robin. Oh, thank you for having me. <laughs> so tempted to say no. Thank you. No. Thank you. Oh, I should have said that. So how was it, Intimates? Did you love something you heard? Or maybe you're upset by something I said? Leave your comments on facebook.com slash intimate interactions. Or you can go to patreon.com slash Victor Salmon, where you can find our Discord server. All of these communities are available on IntimatePodcast.com, and I genuinely look forward to speaking with you soon. If you liked it, please consider helping us pay for show costs over at Patreon for as little as $1 per month. It's incredibly helpful. It's just a dollar a month. If you can afford it, we would hugely appreciate having your support. And hey, if that doesn't work for you, I completely understand. You can also help out by going to leave a review on iTunes or other favorite social media platform. Social proof like that helps so much with visibility and audience building. It helps other intimacy and relationship nerds find us. And if any of that just sounds like too much work, you can always do something really simple and it still goes a long way. Something like just tapping share and sending an episode that you liked, maybe a favorite, to a friend or partner, or maybe you can send them something you think they might really like. That's probably more considerate. Thanks so much for your time and for your help in keeping us making more of Intimate Interactions. Oh yeah, I almost forgot. The intro music was Driving in the Rain by Timecrawler, and this outro music is Acoustic Blues by Jason Shaw.